Hello and welcome to this free episode of TF. It is myself, Riley, and I am joined by Hussein and Alice. How's it going, guys? I've been really oh, like, wow. I've been wondering whether I should try to do the Milo voice, but I'm not going to because I don't like doing voices and I don't want to do voices. Yeah, this is this is a Milo-less episode because we've locked Milo in the studio toilet so that he can't make any <laughs> any sort of like anti-Wales remarks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This was... He was going to come up with a whole new character that we would really love for five minutes and then spend 10 months hating. Mm -hmm. So he has been sequestered well away from the recording. And instead, we're very pleased to be joined uh, by the National Wales's uh, uh, Becca Wilkes. Becca, how's it going? Hello, I'm good. Yeah, I'm here to be pro-Wales. Mm. Absolutely. Well, we're. I think we are. We're going to be talking about uh, it through this about about Wales because things are things are going on in Welsh politics and um, yeah, doings are occurring. Things doing tra yeah. transpiring. That's right. But are they really? Yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I, a, a lot of white papers are being called for, and if I know anything from uh, English politics, uh, that means uh, changes are a coming. Mm. Oh, um, we love a white paper. We love a, white, we, we love a call for responses. Mm -hmm. um, mm. Because but people need uh, urgent uh, social and public services that have spent the last sort of four years getting residualized into nothing. The important thing to do is to make sure you spend uh, two years before you give them anything uh, so you can make sure a voice, a range of voices are heard. Hmm. Um, yes. No, but so we'll, we, we'll be talking a little bit about about what's going on uh, in Wales politically. And then I think in a wider sense, I think it's worth it's worth talking a little bit just about how how Welsh politics uh, works, uh, maybe misconceptions of it that might be abiding uh, over here on this side of the border. I hate when and, a misconception uh, abides. Uh, especially on this side of the border. That's on this the side of the border? That's the worst side of the border. <laughs> that's my side of the border. I live here. <laughs> um, but uh, look, there are uh, got a, f a few things to talk about first, right? Uh, number one, and this is, this is sort of, uh, again, I think... A, um, a moment where I think the only, uh, when you think about this, the only sort of appropriate emotion to feel is uh, cold fury. Uh, but it is, it has now been the uh, deadliest day in the channel um, with uh, several dozen uh, refugees, uh, I mean, people aiming to come here and claiming asylum, uh, being killed uh, when their inflatable boat capsized. And um, yeah, if, if only we'd listened to the signal call of the show years and years about this, mm -hmm. then maybe we could have had policy solutions. Yeah. Well, it's it, what 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 I think is most infuriating, right, is uh, the the crocodile tears coming from people uh, what from everyone from the home secretary to the leader of the opposition, mm -hmm. people who oppose the only policy that will work, which is buy these people ferry tickets so they can come over here safely. Because if you don't do that, anything short of that, literally anything policy that isn't that, right, you are saying that you condone what's happening and you just don't want to feel bad about it. Yeah, it, it, it is the classic preeminent case of crying because you got what you wanted. Uh, like, th this is the sort of, like, desirable or at least, it, you know, 
expected outcome of anything that you try to do that involves, uh, you know, more more border guards, pushbacks, or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, because you'll never be able to control that stretch of the French coastline effectively enough to to prevent these boats from launching, and so they do, and this is the result. Um, yeah. and it's it, it's just it's so so galling. And and even if you and even if you can, you obviously shouldn't. Yeah, if you want to build um, the Atlantic Wall too, but with all of the bunkers facing inwards to stop people yeah. from having to live in France, a horrible fate to bestow on anyone, least of all people who have to flee their own countries. Uh, then you know, and people who are so desperate that coming to Britain, an even worse place, seems better. Um, yeah. Then, like. I don't know. Like, uh, at what point do you just sort of give this up as an unwinnable thing? At what point is it just like the war on drugs, you know, where the the drugs win? Well, I think it, it at this point, well, the way I see it is, I actually kind of see it less. And by the way, this is something that we're absolutely going to talk about, I think, at more oh, yeah, length. This is going to be a whole, yep. we're going to do another migration yep. episode. Yep. We're going to have to. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. But just, I mean, the way that what it puts me in mind of actually is less the sort of war on drugs. And uh, more of like you know nuclear proliferation for peace in the 1950s, right? Mm. Where we say we must Very have a safer Riley world. Cut there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we must have a safer world. The only way to do that is to have more world-ending weapons. We have to have more of them and be more ready to use them. Yeah. The the, the is, only way to like decrease migration is to uh, kill migrants accidentally. Well, it's not even what they're talking about is the, the the rhetoric always used, right? Especially by like like Patel and her the people around her is we must make this route unviable so nobody takes it, which means putting more pressure on it, which means that say worse boats will be launched more hastily, for yeah. example. We right? have to make but it more precarious, but like the, it it's a it's a deliberate failure because no one's stupid enough, apart from like maybe some conservative voters, to believe that there's any sort of precarity you can expose these people to that isn't worse than what they're leaving. Yeah. Uh you know, for one reason or another. But it's the same thing, I think, with the, the Rand Corporation people in the 1950s. I don't think many of them actually thought they were... Maybe some of the stupider ones did, but they knew what side their bread was buttered on. They mm. know that, you know that, that Northrop Grumman's paying the bills, and that what you want to do is you want to get as many of those nukes made as possible, because that's how you're taking home your lightly glowing turkey to your family. And, like, and, and it doesn't matter that it doesn't make the world... It actually made the world a much, much more dangerous place to be alive. Right. It doesn't matter that any of that any of that's not true. It's that all that is politically possible is the impossible. And all we can do are things that won't work. And it's just crackpot realism again. And it's that but it's this very, I think, sort of morally depraved an even more morally depraved and personally sickening version yeah. of, of that belief system. Um but on And, and the good of, news is there's a bipartisan consensus. So even if you elect a Labour government, nothing will change. Oh well, I mean, the, the the speeches that Starmer and Boris gave uh, in front of the uh, CBI. Which oh, that's, were at the time that, that, that's that. Yeah. Now we're back into the comedy yeah. zone. <laughs> now, now we can change gear out of uh, a horrible tragedy has occurred and into uh, 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 we're back. In, we're back in the three ring circus. Yeah, our our goofy our goofy political yeah, leaders. The, the goofs um, are back on. Yeah. Uh, now, I, 
I know this just by, by way of, of sort of introducing this, right, especially to uh, American listeners. This is something that will have happened in Britain at this point a couple of weeks ago. But anything that happens on a Monday really sucks for us because that's like as far away from our recording schedule as it gets. Yeah. But, and um, obviously they yeah. do this deliberately to thwart <laughs> us. <laughs> Fuckers. I hate them. Um, so both uh, Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer gave speeches in front of uh, the CBI, which is basically like a it's like a, a not-for-profit membership organization. Yeah, it's the Confederation uh, the, of British yeah. Industry. It's the it's the fucking like market rate Bilderberg Group. It's like fucking uh, yeah, no, absolutely. You know if, if you have a medium-sized spark plug testing facility that has nevertheless <laughs> made you a sort of millionaire in say Gloucestershire, right? You are a member of this organization. Yes. Yeah. Now, I'm going to read some of what uh, some of the, the different remarks uh, and then I'm going to sort of throw to the floor. Um, so, look, uh, Boris gave his speech first and uh, it very quickly uh, descended into um, rambling specifically about Peppa Pig and how much he likes Peppa Pig world. And then he <laughs> mm-hmm. was kind of um, guided off the stage. He lost his place in his notes and just kind of stood there shuffling papers for 20 seconds. Uh, he, he, quote, he, he quoted Lenin to them, which I do appreciate. Yeah. He also uh, quoted a car. Uh, them. Yeah, he ma- he made car noises. I wish I had had the foresight to get the drop of this, but yeah, he made a like a vroom vroom noise. Yeah, um, so cool. <laughs> and, and then this, he was immediately uh, followed off stage by uh, the BBC news headlines about mm. how he had fucked this up and how, like, genuinely, one of the first questions a reporter asked him was, "Seriously, are you okay?" Which. <laughs> You never want to hear. You got to yeah, after you make like, a big speech. Are you okay after making such a good speech? Should you leave yeah, it, you left it all out there? You, you don't want to get that sort of like teacher voice. Is everything okay at home, Boris? He was, he was just checking on a mate, uh, you know, and their mental health. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was checking in with his blokes. And it's important to check yeah. in on your blokes at like, you know, every possible occasion. So it was completely yeah, uh, it was completely unrelated. Yeah. So so what's happened here is that like uh this is far from the first shambolic thing Boris has ever done. We know this. It's just that this is like because he's doing it to business and he's appearing vulnerable, this is the perfect time for Rishi Sunak to try and like knife him in the back by, you know, texting every compliant journalist or having someone text every mm-hmm. compliant journalist and say, Hey, Boris is kind of looking like shit. Boris looking straight chuji because he's using Instagram memes (laughs) from a couple years ago. Now, I mean, you've you've sort of been seeing like all of this stuff develop. You know where this is going next, of course. But I wanted to know, like, how do how have you sort of how have you interpreted this as it sort of carried on? Well, I didn't actually watch the Boris speech, and I'm really, really regretting it now because, um, yeah, (laughs) I did see bits and pieces of the. Dharma. Well, I don't know whether I'm supposed to speak about oh, that. Oh no! Yet. Please go off. Oh, please um, do what you want to do. Yeah, and all the f words that that he's that he's actually comfortable saying. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. We you described the, the the CBI really reminded me of like Wales Tech Week. You get sort of the assembled uh, business leaders in the in the world in the world of like small parts manufacturing and stuff. Yeah, it's it's um, not the guys who familiar. like do a coup d'etat on you. It's the guys who like own factories that make hair dryers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, those those hairdresser <laughs> hair dryer magnets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um right. but yeah, 
watching astonished as as mm. always what, what was really funny to me right was like there's this there's this specimen of of guy on the left um which is the guy who every time boris like shits himself on stage or whatever um will then say ah no he's playing you it's it's a cunning uh tory act because Alice, stop talking about me as though i'm not here <laughs> <laughs> no e every time he gets off the stage after having like thrown up on a guy he starts walking like kaiser soze and he like straightens his tie and he like perfectly combs his hair down and he's just normal and it's like no the, the bluster is absolutely like a, a tactical thing like talking about pepper pig or whatever that's that's totally a thing that he does on purpose but he doesn't fuck up speeches on purpose and he especially doesn't get like briefed against by the rest of the conservative party because they're worried that he's alienating oh. uh fucking hairdryer people Alice, i'll tell you what accident. that is that's that's just people who's main core organizing belief is that the Tories are completely invulnerable and they've done that as a part of sort of learned helplessness. Yeah, and I mean that is uh, only 90% true. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Because I mean like look, it's he uh, we talked about this, right, where if the that it, it's labor is never going to win against the conservatives. What happens is the conservatives are going to lose themselves like they did with major. And then labor is just going to be like standing there trying to look identical to them. I'm just, more professional I'm just version a of them. here standing yeah. in front of a country asking them to invest in me. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, no, uh, because so like, because next up was Keir Starmer uh, giving a, giving his speech to the CBI and who boy uh, so good. This is the this is the point in the episode where we truly are missing Milo's absence uh, because <laughs> we had perhaps some of the most clear lines we've ever had out of him. Um, uh, Alice, you want to do the first one? Oh, I'll my, do the f words. You my, do the first my, one. My, fa my favorite one was he said, "Labor is back in business." The dual meaning is entirely <laughs> intentional. Uh, the dual meaning is entirely intentional, Lynn. Kind of, kind of Sean Connery there. What, what the was that? Meaning as intentional. Yeah. <laughs> labor as back and business. Uh, but like, labor is back and yeah, I'm, business. No, I'm just, I'm just every time. Yeah, if Milo isn't here, I'm just doing Keir Starmer as yeah. Sean Connery now. Maybe Keir Starmer should do his speeches as Sean Connery. Maybe, like, maybe. Yeah. But like, I genuinely <laughs> thought they put the quotes in the wrong place. I thought they had just added. This is entirely intentional. No, he said that with his human-seeming mouth parts. He said, "Ah, oh, this pun. It's 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 actually a pun. It's entirely into. I'm being humorous. It's mm -hmm. a dual meaning." <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, look, he knows that uh, that that British British journalists and business leaders all have like I don't know the the IQs of you know four year olds. Well, that is true. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he, he do, doesn't want to frighten do. them. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, speaking of frighten, uh, he also said relations between politics and business have not always been warm. The prime minister himself has not always been complimentary. Which again, that's just what Matt Hancock said. Yeah, you can't that's say fuck business. Yeah, I would never say that about business. That's just what Matt Hancock said. <laughs> He's running the Matt Hancock campaign. That dynamo of charisma. Uh, but if you if you read his like the road ahead thing, that was a very Matt Hancock yeah. document in itself. Oh, it absolutely um, was. Yeah, yeah. Business doesn't mean to do bad. You've got to be nice to business and hold business's hand. Um, <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, check all of <laughs> checking check in, check in on your local business and see whether their mental health yeah. is okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
is I can promise you that the only F words I will be using are foreign investment, fair trade, <laughs> fiscal policy, and fiduciary duty. <laughs> fiduciary juicy, Jesus Christ. That's... Those are that is not that number one. Those are short phrases, I, not words. I, I, th- I think it was inappropriate for Keir to wear the Castrol GCX jacket to the CBI, but go off, I guess. <laughs> I and, think he's just doing it on purpose at this point. Mm. I think he, I think it's an op. I think yeah. you know, <laughs> after the the special K remark, I just I simply yeah. don't know. Yeah, he's doing it. He's doing it specifically to aggrieve us. Knowing what our recording, yeah. knowing what our recording schedule is yeah, like, he, he's doing a kind of like extended <laughs> yeah. piece of performance art. He, te- we're going to see Keir Starmer tear off his latex mask to reveal Marina Abramovich. <laughs> oh, I was going to say Andy Kaufman. <laughs> well, possibly. Um, but the only it's that he's. Uh, I think someone, someone in his team must have said like. Uh, it's, sir, the um, uh, British public are at risk of seeing you as something of a partridge. And then he's just leaned very heavily into it. But like, even, here's the thing, right? Look, I, I, you can't. It's number. It's funny how fucking corny he is. But it's like not even Corbyn went to the CBI when he made the same speech because everyone always makes this speech. Um, he, he didn't tell them to go fuck themselves. He said something that was like content-wise was broadly similar. Yeah, right? he, he he said essentially, "What if we did business but nice?" Because he's a social yeah. democrat, and so like, yeah. and and of course f- for this he was like driven out of public life uh, at yeah. any cost. But it's like, even even sucking them off doesn't give you anything because the response to both Starmer and Johnson's speeches was sort of bewildered frustration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, it, it, the one thing about about one thing that is true about about business, I think neither, especially these these types of businesses that neither party has grasped, is that both of them do need investment, and all that sort of and and labor is promised. Labor is now they're promising more investment than the Tories, who again are sort of just at this point showing themselves to be uh, uh, illiterate dunces. But again, that's fine. Right, it's it's that labor is being slightly more serious, but they still are unwilling to break out of this um, of the orthodoxy of being slightly investment phobic. And even now, when like another too big to fail energy company has folded, everybody who actually has to do things materially, even like beyond just people who want sort of to transform ideology to transform uh, material conditions, socialist activists like like people like this. Even now, it's even anyone who is asking uh, the people who have been basically what like I don't know trained um like like, like given made made into like Pavlov's dogs for um j- just operantly conditioned to get let the state get out of the way and let business get on with it. Right? They're either there's the to- there's the party that says that while drooling, or the party that says that while saying please take us seriously, but no one's actually willing to do anything outside of these narrowly defined orthodoxies. What is funny to me is that this is sort of a a rod that the CBI has made for its own back, right? It's Mm. like, uh, we spent 40 years installing the kind of politician who can, who like, whose job is to get out of the way and make let us make money as sort of like buccaneers of the free market, right? And that's their only political instinct, because we've made absolutely certain that that's the only viable course left. Uh, and now, when we suddenly need massive government investment, all of the politicians that we have have been trained from birth by us to not do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's fun. I mean, look, 
I mean, if it didn't, if if there weren't sort of, I don't know, you know, negative short run impacts and everyone else, it would be very, very funny well, to watch them all squirm. Well, one th- and it still yeah. actually kind of one is. One thing that just, like, I was just thinking about, like what Alice was saying, and like one thing I just remember is like something that Dan Hodges posted like this week or something about how um, he had done something along the lines of just like, you know, no one's going to take Keir Starmer seriously. This was after the CBI speech, but no one's going to take Keir Starmer seriously because Labour still think that there's like a magic money tree. Um, you know, just like all that, like that really sort of like outdated stuff, which was very much just like, like Dan, are you just kind of like advocating for more austerity? Uh, to which he just never kind of clearly answered. But very much one, there was very much just like you know, uh, expecting Keir Starmer to kind of like talk to this imagined working class that exists entirely in his own brain. Um, But also like, I think it's very reflective of like what Alice was saying about like this type of like, not even just like politicians, but also just a generation that understood what politics, what politicians and what politics was, was supposed to be in relation to commerce and the idea that like any kind of material intervention or even any kind of like legislative intervention was one that was like not encouraged. So like even as these sort of like centrist labor people um, celebrate that like, you know, the left no really, really longer like want to be part of the party, they're still kind of frustrated with this, with like facing a reality that like, getting rid of like Jeremy Crombin wasn't going to like eradicate (laughs) any of like the kind of very pressing material conditions that like credit to the conservatives in a very minimal way have at least recognized. Yeah, they just hate it, which is yeah. very fulfilling. Right. Whereas, every time, yeah, every right. time they do these sort of like big interventions, it's always the minute we've talked about this <laughs> about kicking the can down the road. It's always the minimum possible thing, and yeah. they always talk so loudly about how much they hate doing it. Right. So, and then it opens this question about like you know, so like, would you prefer? would you prefer it in a minimal way that like they obviously resent or do you prefer a politics where like you just pretend like these problems like don't exist at all? And like, those are your two choices, by the way. Mm hmm. And also it's delivered by Sean Connery. That's right. I mean, look, it's, it's unfair. It's unfair to say that they're not that they're saying, no, we are not going to in- invest in things. They have said they are going to invest. It's just a lot of the investment is sort of same old, same old talking about how, oh, we're going to co-invest in making gigafactories for electric cars. Uh, we're going to invest in climate and so on. But I think the 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 promises of sort of anything transformative in terms of say infrastructure or whatever are just very thin on the ground and it's it is it is both of these people are they are clearly yesterday's man and they are they are being asked to react to things that appear to be just outside the purview of what they can conceive the best thing is tomorrow's man uh, also not going to be able to fucking do anything. Like, at best, you'll get, from the Tories, like I say, Rishi Sunak, who is going to do some, like, more... Oh, that guy's got a Milton Friedman back tattoo, <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah, exactly. His, his, like, Milton Friedman full back piece, Chicago school full sleeve. No, he's he's going to do the minimum possible thing in a more pragmatic way and not talk about Peppa Pig on stage, and it still won't solve any of the underlying problems. Also, f- before we move on to sort of talking about sort of our, our, our core subject today. Hmm, right. Wales. I, yeah, I, it's that, look, 
Uh, uh, this is, I think, the whole sort of experience with Boris should always be a rejoinder to the people who say he's British Trump. That's absolutely not true because Trump, Trump would never would have said way any of that lame shit. Remember, this guy's talking about, he's talking about Peppa Pig, he's making truck noises, but he would never talk about Stan Chera. He would never talk about fucking on a yacht in front of a bunch of Boy Scouts. He would never host the football <laughs> well, boys. Well, the thing is, the thing yeah. is, Boris Johnson has long COVID, right? It's, oh, for it's, sure. It's just yeah. like eating his brain. And so, compared to Trump, Right when Trump got COVID, as he memorably said, he, he they took my DNA and it came back and it wasn't DNA; it was USA, um, <laughs> which That's is so first of all a great thing to say, but second of all, uh, Boris doesn't have that protection. He they took his DNA and it came back GB. So no fucking wonder <laughs> that he's sort of turned into this drooling monstrosity yeah. on stage. <laughs> Yeah, Boris has been mentally enfeebled by COVID, and Trump was just made stronger by <laughs> honestly, it. Honestly, honestly, Boris Johnson right now is acting like he has like like he's exceeded his encumbrance <laughs> limit in Skyrim. He's just sort of stumbling around. He's dr he drank forty yeah. meads. He's constantly <laughs> drinking forty meads. He's he is glitching. He's carrying uh, about fifty yeah. copper pots. At the same time, yeah. yeah if, if every time he's about to walk, you just see like a bunch of copper pots flow out from his chest. <laughs> All right, I want to talk about Wales. I have a Welsh startup. Becca, you sent this Welsh startup to me, so uh, unfortunately, you can judge the answers, but you can't play the game. I'm sorry about mm. that. And unless you, unless you use the like device that we all use to erase our memories at the end <laughs> of every episode's recording <laughs> to forget so, what the startup was. So, my colleagues. Uh, the yes. startup is called Thermify. Thermify. It is, I'll say this it says, no compromise, no downside, smart green energy used twice. Uh, it's recycling the fucking heat of your own biomass from your shit. Oh, God, Alice, that's so close. You were close then. What? <laughs> You gave the game away to it. You said you said well, the word ther energy. Thermify is like already like what well, it's it's obviously not going to be something like um, heat pumps because those are useful. So what's the most stupid thing you could do? And it's well, it's biomass, right? So it's got to be <laughs> got to be. Well, uh, you're close with the heat pump thing, Alice Hussein. What do you think? I mean, I thermify. I mean, all I was going to say was I think it's like some sort of like indoor like human composting system. No, no, they, no. They, they bore deep into the Earth's mantle beneath your house to use <laughs> geothermal energy to heat it. Uh, wait, that would be good. <laughs> yeah, they do the plot no, of the movie The Core underneath yeah. your house. Okay. Um, I'm going to say I'll do another one. From helping the environment to offering relief for low-income families to companies looking for environmentally friendly alternatives, everyone benefits from joining this green revolution. Oh, do you know what? I didn't remember that part of the 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 spiel, and yeah. now I'm I'm a little bit wounded. <laughs> uh, I, I've I've removed some key words from there. They, they they use they use once again your your human shit to like heat businesses. Uh, You're getting really like preoccupied with the human shit. It's um. yeah I, I, yeah I I'm. Hmm. What yeah. do businesses need that generates a lot of heat? Uh, fucking... I don't know, dude. It's... Do not say human shit. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you need to heat that? Yeah, exactly. It's so, already thermify. warm. Yeah. All right, all right. It right. turns office small talk into, like, renewable energy. I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm a big wheel of the CBI, thanks to my, uh, thanks to my multi-million pound heated trough of human shit company. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> just walking through their thumb and your suspenders. No, no. Thermify says that's why. That's why they. That's why they want people to come back to the offices. They need people to do small talk, so <laughs> that small talk can be generated into energy. Yeah, that's right. So, Thermify asks, "What if there was a new kind of data center that could warm homes?" Oh, they're putting the. They're warming your house with the fucking Bitcoin mine. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. All right. I, I'm here I, for this. See, I was going to think that maybe is it kind of like a rental system where like tech companies would be like, can we use your house to store servers? And yes, in exchange, that. those servers that, are so- That's exactly what it is. No. Yes. No. Yes. Fuck yeah, off, really? That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. They want to put servers so, in people's so, houses. So, so we turn people's homes into data centers and their thing is like, well, the boxes get really hot, which means that you'll have heat all the time. Yeah, well, that's literally the logic there. Don't yeah. you have to keep a server for the farm very cold? Well, partially we for this reason, yeah. but also for like operational reasons? Uh, don't worry about it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, I personally love when I get up in the morning, you know, I, I put some toast in the toaster, I pour myself a glass of orange juice, and then uh, the fire suppression system for the server that lives in my basement floods my entire house with oxygen displacing <laughs> gas. <laughs> so look I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how it works right they say basically you have a, a thermify boiler in your house uh-huh um and uh basically you um and a and bunch pay- of macedonian teenagers are mining bitcoin on it <laughs> that's correct <laughs> uh so the the thermify boiler you buy it as the homeowner and it processes cloud computing requests and the energy consumed is transformed into heat. You save huge money in your energy bills because it's subsidized by the company that sells the compute capacity to uh, companies, and you use the same energy twice. Now, okay, it's okay, a very- how, how does it like? But the, yeah. the cycles on which you need to use heat in your home, uh, they have to be different from the cycles of like data use, right? Like. It's like hooking up your fucking home electricity to the flashing hard drive indicator on your computer. It's just going to be like... <laughs> yeah, and I actually, because I'm not a particularly bright bulb um, with, with, you know, renewable energy is concerned, so I spoke to someone who knew more about it, and they were very, like, nice and sweet about this, and sort of said, oh, you know, it's it's um, it's an admiral... Uh, admiral? Admirable. It's an admirable ambition. But, you know, if you put it in someone's house, they may not be able to, like, turn the heat on and off when they, yeah, they want that's to. That's my which... concern. You're not able to, like, oh, you can't take a shower right now because nobody's mining enough Bitcoin. Yeah, well, yeah. then what, what you have to do is you have to get out there, maybe start your own cryptocurrency and encourage people to mine it using your server as a node. Your house is 50 degrees in summer because you get a like a, a popular server in your fucking boiler. Oh, yeah. Well, you can't turn your... I mean, you can't turn it off. No, of course, of course. not. Of course not. Because the thing is, you, you pay a flat rate a month, which is much, much lower than your energy bill. But the key is the people deciding whether or not you have heat are people mining Bitcoin, or like I don't know, like downloading rendering a YouTube kids video yeah, or whatever. Yeah, torrenting movies. Great, fantastic. Mm. Ordering <laughs> sex dildos. Ordering sex dildos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Because and what I also what I fucking hate about this, what just absolutely makes me just just the the thing that I think is the fucking worst about Thermify is that they're like, oh, it's a solution for low income people, and it's like, 
yeah. fucking great. I yeah, because like it's because the the low income people should have like dignity or whatever. Like they should have the 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 just the basic services that you need to live a comfortable and dignified life as a byproduct of someone having a sex dildo website. Yeah, no, it's it, it's like actually less predatory uh, and more comically insulting than like the old things where you had to put like a coin in, right? Like <laughs> genuinely. Yeah, because it's doing it's the same thing, but it's it's a less predictable uh, because your house is heated on the basis of compute cycles, or at least they haven't disabused me of that idea on their website. I feel like that would be something you front and center. Wouldn't the house be heated on on the basis of consumer demand? What if it's hot out? What if it's cold out? Mm-hmm. They don't really tangle with that in any obvious no. way. Yeah, you have to do a shitload more Bitcoin mining in winter to mm, keep up with yeah. demand. And there's also this thing about, and again, I'm not, you know, an expert on this stuff, but f- for me, the thing that jumped out was, um, you know, they on their website, they they kind of hint to the fact, you know, that they want to sell this this uh, this service to like Amazon Web Services and all the rest of it. But like, surely those companies will want to attend to sort out their servers now and again, and that the the times when they they want to visit to do repairs or, or to, to fiddle about with something or to track something it's not necessarily going to be convenient to you so like you as the person who lives in that home like are you going to have to put up with sort of random amazon web server mm. service yeah. guys yeah, like absolutely. showing up absolutely you you you're, you're going to yeah. have you can have like that an exciting new career in door to door server maintenance <laughs> yeah it's also the fact that it makes you reliant on the continued existence of companies like this to heat your home which is which is another thing in itself that that strikes me it's like yeah you you can't you're you're reliant on the continued existence of of Amazon and the and the fortunes of Jeff Bezos. Yeah. But, to, but conversely, uh, right? There's an op- there's an opposite to this, which is your data transfer is now reliant on somebody else's house. Which means that, like, what if you can't order your basket of sex dildos or like download the the the? Uh, <laughs> oh, no. What yeah. if you <laughs> can't download the model to three D print your sex dildos? What happened to Steve's house? Yeah, because 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 Steve and Steve's house has just like taken an axe to his boiler you know what happens if like your business and your like livelihood is like all based on all based on like a server box in like some random person's house yeah, my my, my boiler just, yeah. breaks once a year more or less and right. like i if you're for if if anything you're doing on the internet depends on the like uh continued maintenance status of my boiler you're fucked yeah. Hmm. Well, the other thing, right, is I think Becca, what you were saying is this depends on Amazon existing. Like, imagine that life, right, where you go to work in the Amazon warehouse and you come back in your house that's been heated by an Amazon boiler. It just it shows it's this idea that I think a lot of startup idiots have, which is just that we need to find more ways for this to intrude on people's lives so that it can solve one problem while creating forty more. Yeah, it kind of fits into that whole thing of you know, like where they talk about sort of. Um, platforms in these big companies as operating kind of less like companies or, or um, platforms and more like states. And there's, there's, there's really something to that because if you, you think suddenly like Amazon is providing your employment, they're heating your home and it's like, you know, they're delivering your, your shopping for you, you know, as they take on grocery deliveries. It's like we, we, we keep thinking of different ways um, to invite this, these companies into our into our lives and and mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's 
very strange instinct. And mm. and the Welsh government seems to like Thermify, right? Oh yeah, they do. They do. Yeah. Tell me about that. Um, well, to be to be to be fair, and to be you know like with credible journalist hat on, I can't say for sure what the relationship between the Welsh government and um, uh, I went. I went to say Spotify then, but it's Thermify. I mean, the, <laughs> they um, wish they had a relationship with Spotify. Yeah, they, they, they both changed their relationship status to "it's complicated," but we can't really draw <laughs> any conclusions. Um, but yeah, basically, they they uh, they made a big announcement about this, where they sort of said they'd attracted um, them to the to. Uh, I think it was in Swansea. Well, I should know this off the top of my head, but yeah, they've attracted them to the. To, to start up operations here. Usually what attracted means is this, as we probably will talk about a little bit later, um, usually what attracted means is there's some kind of grant involved or some kind of support. Again, not saying that's absolutely the case here. I'm just saying that's what the language suggests. Mm. If you see what I mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> and based on, uh, based on um, recent history, you know, there's, there's nothing that uh, the Welsh government seemed to disprove me of uh, that, that well, idea. Because the, the Welsh government is, is very interesting. It's sort of call, it's been called a kind of one party state with Welsh mm. labor just enjoying sort of hegemony there for you know the decades oh, yeah. since uh, devolution. And it, it, Welsh labor also, I think, occupies a space in the mind, I think especially of the English, as somewhat more radical, somewhat more serious. Uh, which the with the Welsh first minister often being the um, highest, um, the, yeah. hot, the most senior labor politician in the country, uh, right. senior elected labor politician, and I, I think like, but it's it's what it really is, or at least in in history, it seems to be uh, it seems to be an, an organization that historically actually under delivers for the people that uh, vote for it and depend on it, and that is absolutely gaggingly desperate to. Um, have a Silicon Valley guy just like just, uh, take a shit in their toilet. Just pondering my big orb that just contains the past of Scottish Labour to see if this contains any <laughs> clues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it was interesting what you said earlier actually about um, the the idea of like Starmer and, and Johnson sort of being like men of the past and kind of not having anywhere to go. And I think that's kind of true for a lot of Welsh Labour as well. But the thing that they... And again, we probably will go into this a little bit, little bit more. But the thing that they rely on is this: the rhetoric is always very radical, the the action, not necessarily um, the case. You know, there's the, the, we're very comfortable talking about socialism in Wales. We're very comfortable about saying, you know, like phrases like "clear red water" and the Welsh way and stuff. But yeah, the in practice, the the rhetoric doesn't kind of bear itself out because yeah. Wales is what Welsh politics sort of has has been shaken up a little bit, right? Because uh, what's happened is Welsh Labour and uh, uh, played Cymru. The um, <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> why? We, oh, we, we gave you the fucking briefing beforehand. Yeah. We did. Said, we did. Plied. Plied. Think pride with an L. <laughs> I can't. I can't get my dumb Canadian mouth around the words. Um, <laughs> Labour and Plaid Cymru, excuse yeah, me, there you go. Um, are uh, going to be entering into a confidence and supply arrangement, um, which essentially is aiming to lay out a raft of policies to tackle a number of crises that have been sort of building up in Wales, housing crises, uh, child poverty crises, 
uh, dealing with greening the economy and so on. Things that you'd expect a one-party state with more or less unlimited authority over the um, elements of government that have been devolved to it would have been able to at least begin tackling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be, to be like super diplomatic, um, you know, it's, I wouldn't say like radical, obviously, but it's, it's a good thing that they've done this. It, it's good that they are willing to, I mean, like, in the the land the wider landscape of UK politics, like it is radical to enter into a cooperation deal with a party like uh, Plaid Cymru, but yeah, as you say, um, it's it's pretty wild that the Labour Party of Wales, you know, historically sort of slightly more radical-ish mm. country, mm. has not thought to. To broach these. Well, 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 me looking into my my Scottish Labour orb. The one thing that I can say is that, like, can I see the orb? Uh, no, this is my orb. Um, I would also like to see the orb because I don't know very much about the Scottish. Well, well, the one thing about Scottish Labour, right, is that, like, if you have a sort of a captive audience, if you will, a sort of a captive electorate who you can talk to socialism, you can talk to about socialism, uh, and who you can sort of promise things, and they're going to keep voting for you regardless, cradle to grave, uh, is that that works forever. <laughs> and you can just keep siphoning off all of the best talent and sending it to London, you can keep not doing anything in the actual area, and you can keep just kind of, um, you know, making fun of nationalists because nothing bad will ever happen. Yeah. Like, like but Richard to, to, to Leonard my, yeah. is one of the most powerful men in the country. That's now. right. That's right. But like, to, to, he's allowed to, to kill people. To my mind, this is <laughs> this is kind of um, a more politic way of like coming to terms with nationalism than what Scottish Labour ever did, because Scottish Labour's response was to to laugh at it and then get owned. Uh, whereas here, trying to sort of like bring it inside the tent, and trying to like maybe almost co-opt it a little bit, seems to me that much more. Um, Alternately, depending on how cynical or optimistic you are, uh, sort of devious or diplomatic. Yeah, it's it's we're a weird country. To the headline of this, this is going to be um, because yeah, I think again, I know bugger all about um, about sort of the history of Scottish politics, but I get the the, the sense that Welsh Labour, at least in the the sort of the recent past. Isn't isn't quite sort of as um, hostile towards. <laughs> I mean, there's that. Yeah, I mean, that's even that's debatable. But, <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're certainly not as sort of. Um, yeah, the relationship isn't as opposite oppositional. Is that right? Is that a word? Opposition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, with with Plaid as as maybe it was between the SNP and, and Scottish Labour. Like you know, we had the one. Wales government um, a little while ago, which was in a, a formal coalition government between Plaid and, and Labour. So they are capable of working together. Um, and I think that is the probably one of um, Welsh Labour's sort of saving graces-ish, is that mm. they're willing to pilfer ideas um, or, you know, willing to sort of pay lip service to Plaid um, in a way that probably you wouldn't see um, between sort of Scottish Labour and SNP and, and, you know, most sort of similarly politically inclined parties in 
in England and, and parties so, like the Greens and stuff. My question is, what is what is Plaid, uh, if there's even a single answer, sort of want from this opportunity? Like, what what's the price of this confidence and supply for them? Ooh, um, probably for them, um, the second home stuff. Um, so in Wales, um, we've got a bit of a housing crisis. That it's it's an interesting housing crisis because it's um, similar in the in the way you see this stuff manifest sort of over the border where you have like rising house prices in cities and rising rent prices that that you know don't chime with sort of like stagnant wages and stuff. But you also have the the added aggravation of um, uh, holiday homes. So we've got a few nice little like beauty spots in Wales. You got the Gower. You got um, North Wales and Snowdonia and, and Pembrokeshire and West Wales, you know, the popular staycation spots for um, you lot on the other side of Office Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and, and particularly with the pandemic, you know, people aren't traveling abroad quite as much. So people look to staycations, they look to Airbnbs, um, which means that more people are starting to convert homes into. Um, into holiday homes and then you know that in turn has a has an effect on rent prices in the area you get locals kind of um being purged from from the areas um uh because they're priced out and of course like places like um particularly in north wales they're welsh speaking areas you know they're the most they're, they're the strongholds of, of the welsh language to be fair and as those people get priced out you have less and less people speaking the language you have less and less immersion of communities in in the Welsh language, and as the Welsh government tries to, um, I think it was like a million Welsh speakers. Their their goal is they're trying to resuscitate um, what is, or what was sort of a, a fading ish language. Um, you know, quite rightly they are trying to to, to revive it and and expand the uh, the the population of Welsh speakers. Um, that housing crisis interacts with that crisis of language. Um, so I think tackling that supply Camry is high on the agenda because obviously they're a Welsh nationalist party they they're very big on on the Welsh language and and that's historically um what they've sort of been formed to these protect. days you'll be arrested and thrown in jail just <laughs> for owning a massive home in Wales and saying you're English <laughs> that's right. You know what? I I I could get behind that. Get arrested. Uh, get arrested further for resisting arrest because I don't know how to pronounce Hethley. Hethley. I've got some more quotes from your article here, right? Uh, on this confidence in supply arrangement, and I think it's it's quite instructive. And when we want to think about the the history of Welsh labour, the limits of what it sought out to accomplish, and what. Um, uh, Plaid is able to wring from them. You've also said that um, they are wanting to. That there it includes lots of plans. This confidence and supply oh, agreement, yeah, lots of plans. plans to solve child poverty, plans to solve uh, the housing Explore crisis, options, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Ex exploring options to reduce things that have been within their gift to do, like get rid of zero hours contracts. Yeah. And one of the things, right, is that. Uh, you've inter you uh, you quoted several campaign groups as well, right? So the mm -hmm. Child Poverty Action Group found that more than half of impoverished children in Wales are unable to access free school meals. More than half of Welsh children living in poverty are in, living in uh, in work poverty. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, well, well, uh, the, the 
that previous attempts to expand the that provision, which is unusually narrow in Wales versus the rest of the UK, has been voted down by Welsh, Welsh Labour in Senneth uh, on the basis of concerns about costs. Or you also talked about rent as well, right? Uh, there are we bring, having rent controls to solve the sort of second housing home crisis, especially sort of as prices spiral up in Cardiff and Swansea? Well, no, we're having another white paper where we kind of know what the solution is. We're kicking the can down the road. And so it seems like what they've been able to extract are a lot of um, consultation papers and plans to make plans, looking into things that are quite worthy. But again, that sort of bring back that last question. Why haven't you done this already? Yeah, and that's and that's pretty much the crux of it. I mean, to be fair, there are bits in this um, in this deal that sort of do seem like they have a more um, tangible quality to them. Like I'm thinking of um, social care. So um, in the last Senate election, Plaid ran on on the idea of having a a unified um, national care service that's free at the point of use. Um, whereas the Welsh, uh, whereas Welsh Labour, they they would looking more towards a sort of UK government led solution and if and if the UK government didn't provide sort of adequate funding um by the end of the Senate term they'd look into doing something else. It was it was very much sort of to my mind anyway, kicking the can down the road. Um in much the same way as the, the language around rent controls is now. Um so with the social care, the national the national care service, they're looking at implementation, I think by the end of 2023, having sort of a plan in place to implement that. So there are things that seem like they're going somewhere. I think as well, they're looking at um, a nationalised uh, or publicly owned um, energy company by 2022. So there's bits and pieces that's in there. Um, but like the rent controls is the classic example because they, they floated that. Um, it was floated a couple of days before the full announcement and it was sort of like, um, develop. Um, I think the language was something like uh, develop uh, a way to implement rent controls. And then when the actual full announcement came out, it was we'll do a white paper that will talk about the role that rent controls might play. So not even a white paper on, you know, an actual plan for implementation. It's talking about the role, and it's similarly that that same white paper is going to talk about the role having a right to adequate housing could. Um, could play and it's just like that in itself it's just like why do we need a white paper on that um i don't know we're, we're doing a six-month study to find out whether people like it or not when they have somewhere to live <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah um and i i think this this is sort of quite instructive right where anything all the a lot of the good things that are happening they seem to be sort of dragged to um mm-hmm. and this is interesting right especially because Drakeford loves to talk about this phrase that you bring up, clear red water, right? Yeah, Where he says, he, yeah, talks he coined about his own that radicalism. Phrase. Please uh, continue. Yeah, he coined that phrase when he was um, uh, a, an advisor, I believe, to um, to one of the first Senate. To, oh God, I should know this, but yeah, an early Welsh government, sort of shortly after its formation in the late nineties, um, and he talked about clear red water. It's supposed to refer to um, the comparative radicalism of Welsh Labour as opposed to UK Labour. It was it was during um, the Blaise sort of New Labour years. Mm. Um, supposed to refer I- to the blood of his enemies. <laughs> yeah. God, yeah, the blood of Mark Drakeford's enemies, bless him. Um, yeah, no. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was during the time of like PFI. I think we were slightly shielded from the worst excesses of PFI. 
because of this sort of clear red water policy. That's not me saying that like it was amazing, but there was there was there were some bits uh, where they tried to differentiate themselves from from uh, Blair and Westminster. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's very much up for debate whether there was ever um, whether that sort of idea was ever. Uh, approach with any particular um, urgency or seriousness you know it's, it's some people call it sort of like murky brown water instead of clear red water um <laughs> and i mean this sort of i think leads into when another thing that you can see right which is um that welsh labor will campaign sometimes individual and you know where else i see this is in fucking canada is campaigning against the policies of your own government trying to act <laughs> as though you're insurgent um, yeah. And as a kind of and and if you position yourself in this way, right, where we're always a little bit to the left of whatever English labor is doing, um, minus one sort of brief interregnum in the late twenty teens. Um, <laughs> if if you position yourself roughly to the le- slightly to the left of whatever uh, English labor is doing, but or the National uh, uh, Labor Party is doing, uh, but you are able to sort of then triangulate, you know where what is as right as possible. You know the furthest right you can go is just left of wherever yeah, it, you're wherever in, you're in is. You're an Overson window cleaner. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so you're able to, so as the party is shuts hospitals because it knows sort of what it can do, how far right it can go, uh, a, a Welsh labor, um, uh, 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 a, a Welsh labor politician may protest against that closure. You know, as as you they campaign against evictions, but will sort of vote them through anyway. And it seems like this is this is what happens. I think Alice, going back to what you were saying, Alice, like when you just sort of take for granted that you're going to get voted in regardless, that you have a sort of job for life. Yeah, and that always works. Yeah, especially it's big. I I do genuinely believe that like laborism in the way that it has been applied. Uh, in as much as all political action must flow through the parliamentary labor party and its uh, 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 sort of colleague uh, <laughs> organizations, uh, is truly been a something of a brain disease uh, oh, yeah. for a lot and of. It's, it has it's, been it's, a disease it's been in this country. Disastrous uh, yeah. to yeah to insist on labor's sort of progressive credentials. Um, I think I think that died pretty much with Robin Cook, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but we we had we had a little rally. Towards it with Corbyn, and we saw what happened yeah. there. So, yeah, generally speaking, right? I think most British uh, history of the latter twentieth century can be understood in a pretty similar way, which is that uh, all up and down the country, political communities are reacting to what can only be considered a slow-rolled collapse in the legitimacy of the British state. Uh, because, well, it just doesn't do anything for you. In fact, mostly it puts you into decline. Not even a regular collapse. Nobody's, like, uh, putting heads on pikes and becoming, like, warlord of Swansea, right? No, instead, <laughs> you just get these sort of, like, the same thing we always talk about with Patrick Wyman, about, like, local and uh, regional elites, well, right? But if we're going to have, like, uh, a god king of Swansea, it's probably going to be Ryan Reynolds at this point. Like, they're doing <laughs> something up there. I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing something. Yeah, I, I, I do have a lot of questions about this. Also, one thing I am thinking about is that, like, while we may not have, like, regional warlords, uh, we, we, do, we, do, we do have uh, YouTubers uh, with uh, names like Sargon of Akkad, who runs Swindon. Um, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and, and you also we, have, like, you have your series of, like, local legends as well, right? So, like, mm. the, the conditions yeah, are very much... The con- 
conditions are very I, much there. I'm talking. I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about how these different areas reacted to the collapse of legitimacy in in the idea of the British state. This, um, the, this, this, this loss of because that's why devolution. Ha- one of the main reasons devolution happened, right, was. There is this there is this loss of legitimacy that the British state's able to provide services in the Labour government uh, by led by Blair. I mean, that's not the only, obviously this is not the only reason, but I see it as kind of a proximate cause. Sort of says, okay, fine, you, we will we will sort we will hand back some of this power to you. And I wanted to know, like, how did Wales and Welsh Labour, in the history of them being a sort of party and a distinct party within a party and so on, react to this transformation? Yeah, it was weird because. Um you sort of had the the winter discontent in 1979, and then the the first referendum to even form a a, a senate, the, you know, a distinct government from from the UK was pretty overwhelmingly defeated. Um, but sort of yeah, when you're talking about sort of following Blair, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, we had the the second referendum that which sort of narrowly won in the late 90s formed the first first Welsh government, um, and from there there has been kind of an accelerating um, tendency towards devolution and towards uh, uh, further powers um, being held in Wales. Um, um, particularly, you see, like, I think it was like 2011, we had a referendum to sort of devolve full lawmaking powers um, to us. I mean, I mean, I'm talking more here about like the Welsh public and stuff, but I think it's kind of all um, tied up in the same thing. You know, Labour initially wasn't very pro. Um, pro-devolution itself it had sort of pro-devolution pockets within within the party that then sort of flourished after that initial defeat in uh, the 70s um but you know devolution sort of in the in the first instance was very much driven by by plaid and then kind of uh sort of labor kind of limped after after it in a in a sense um mm. but yeah the, the the difficult thing with with welsh politics um less or recently is that people kind of are aware of the existence of Welsh Labour and and Plaid and things, but people are really sort of quite unengaged with Welsh specific politics. And I think um, the the recent election we had here, and this was kind of what was frustrated in even sort of the English left, um, you know, on the the more progressive side, their reaction to our election recently was this idea that um, Drakeford got back in because he was sort of this uniquely radical politician, um, and I don't just don't think that's the case. I think part of it, part of it, I think was was I mean I say part of it, most of it I think was to do with the fact that people were sort of newly aware of um, the distinction between the Welsh and, and and Westminster government. You know, through the um, pandemic restrictions, you had a couple of moments where Mark Drakeford was able to kind of distinguish himself by making like marginally different or marginally more sort of um logical choices with respect to covid mm. um the suddenly a very low ha- bar but yes a very a very <laughs> low bar but yeah it is very much uh, <laughs> it was just i think people were just kind of astonished that that he existed and <laughs> the welsh government could do things because i don't think people really whatever that switched onto it and that that's not me saying like all oh, the welsh public are ignorant it's me saying that there's never been much of there's never been much to draw your 
tension to the power that Wales holds because as 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 we've been talking about, I think don't... people don't want to read sixty white papers about whether or not they want a house. I mean, incredibly, no, I, I know. I, I, I think we can kind of like since. All national politics has been about beating people into apathy. Like, yeah, no, I don't blame anyone for not giving a shit. Yeah, no, it can, Welsh politics as well can be sort of astoundingly boring. We haven't got carrot, you know. I hate to be like one of those people that like say what you like about so and so, but you know, you you do have sort of um, notable You're a Welsh shakers, Nicola like- Sturgeon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean Mark Drakeford, like he's he is I you know, I will be honest, like he is he is well liked here, but he's Mark Drakeford, like you've you've seen and, and heard what the guy looks and sounds like. Yeah, it's, it's it's not sort of a chairman mark situation. You wouldn't have like a big portrait <laughs> of him. Oh speak yeah. for yourself. <laughs> well, you know what you get for the studio now. Yeah. Well also, right, like we have this I think that there is this it, it's it's the long sort of the long i'd say the sort of six decades of, of sort of british history of is all about if it's all about distinguishing yourself from the center of the state which basically wants you to uh, hurry up and die mm. right it's about it's about offering an alternative to that and this is where i think the the problem of what the one of the things that welsh labor is a bit stuck in and i mean this is one of the, and whenever a, a political a party is stuck, you know they're stuck because they will start doing things like declaring it the year of smart towns, <laughs> for example, yeah. which they have done. <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd like that little addition. <laughs> I, 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 can, I can say that you definitely know what to get me. Um, <laughs> where they're trying to say have uh, more, again, a, a, a like like usual, right? The um, And again, you'll, you'll see this, I mean, you, you've shown me a lot of examples of this in the Welsh government. Um, you do see it quite often. You saw, I see it also in the Toronto government. Lots of places that feel like they don't have room to maneuver announce some pie-in-the-sky technology-enabled plan. They're going to be like, well, we're going to put sensors all over everything in this town, and then that's going to improve bin collection. Because yeah, we have we, we know that bin collection doesn't work, uh, but maybe we can make it work with magic. This guy said he's got some magic beans, and they're all sensor beans, and they're going to help <laughs> us t- tell when to take out the bins. Um, also, uh, places with lots of ideas don't um, sort of spend uh, enormous amounts of uh, time and money uh, courting uh, sort of guys with fanciful car companies uh, oh, like we Jim Ratcliffe. We love to court. Yeah. Wales, you yeah. love to court. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jim Ratcliffe, who is the uh, petrochemical hedge fund billionaire, big Brexit guy. Um, he, uh, he, this is this is uh, quoting from an article in the Times. It started with a pub, the Grenadier in Belgravia, London, where petrochemicals billionaire Sir Jim Ratcliffe told his friends over a pint that he was going to quote build a proper four by four. This is me. This is me. This is me. It's, uh, th- yeah. This is me. This is just like he has a lot more money than I do, so he can actually do it. Like guy, guy drinks too much and says, "Oh, I hate the new Defender so much." <laughs> it's not like a story unless it's one of this sort of like elect class of of multimillionaires. In which case, uh, you can get the entire government of a country to like bow to their whim, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Welsh government, because all of these guys like are treated by, and we see it in the Scottish government as well, the way that oh, yeah. they treated Sanjeev Gupta and uh, Lex Greensill when that was all happening. Um, right? It's the of uh, these. Uh, oh, hang on. I'm pretty sure our, when our former first minister, Carolyn Jones, um, 
had a job, something to do with Sanjeev Gupta. Anyway, sorry. Oh, sure. But like, <laughs> this, is, this is the thing about especially like small governments and especially devolved governments. They're such star fuckers. Um, because mm. like, essentially because they have to be, because they're sort of fighting for distinctiveness and they don't have those kind of like central banking or central like uh, resources that uh, that like a UK government might have. For better <laughs> and for worse, they're, they're, they're cloud chasers. Mm-hmm. And, and this actually gets, uh, the, this is sort of like backed up by the fact that they think, well, we need to increase the prosperity in this area. And we only have five million pounds. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to like spend five million pounds supporting some guy doing a make a wish that hopefully is going to like you know bring prosperity back because yeah because the money has, the money to- has to come yeah. from somewhere and like if it comes from central government then you don't get that much credit for it and it doesn't make you that distinct because nobody sees your face in relation to it. But crucially, well, it, like, can we come back to the fact that this guy was a billionaire? <laughs> like, yeah, why course. does he need five million from the Welsh government? He's a billionaire. Oh, Sorry, because the Scottish, Scottish government is going to give him five. Low tree. Yeah. Well, low, yeah. you know, uh, moose bush. Yeah. Well, these, yeah. I tell you, these guys, these guys are basically like, yeah, they say they're they're make a wish guys. There's, everyone has to do everything they can to make their dreams come true. Mm-hmm. And also, it's like the Welsh, but the Welsh government has an equally fanciful dream, which is it. It knows the capitalism it wants to manage, which is Fordist capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. It knows yeah, that it's so can work cold with that. because of car yeah. plants. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it's able to and it, and it, it's able to deal with things like like this. It is very very easily, um, let's say, uh, bamboozled and impressed by someone making a claim about a smart city or um, that we're going to heat everyone's houses with uh, 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 server racks. All the whole idea of of cons- of almost desperately chasing the future because you are uh, either you because either you feel constrained or you feel like that your your role politically is to still manage decline but to do so in a manage decline but to do so in a different brand from central government it's inevitable that you will end up chasing these fanciful dreams because these are the magic beans that square the circle mm. right? <laughs> These are the magic beans that square the circle is yeah, an incredible magic, sentence, and I'm going to be thinking about it for the rest of the week. Yeah, yeah. they're magic circle squaring beans. I see. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, Becky, you've also put in, you also mentioned to me as well, like they'll spend millions of pounds trying to like give grants to Aston Martin. Yeah, they um, did do that. It was uh, nearly twenty million in grants, I believe, um, for job creation. We love job creation as well. That's the other thing. Uh, we love, love to create cars. jobs. We we love cars. We love to create jobs, any jobs. Um, not sort of um, bothered about what kind of jobs, because obviously, as I've put in there as well, um, Amazon also received twelve million pound in support when it opened its uh, warehouse in in Swansea. During the time of um, Carwin Jobs, I believe it was, and it's made people's lives worse. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's 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 what I mean. It's it's creating jobs, but it doesn't really matter what kinds of jobs you're creating. And and we have this sort of repeating pattern of um, courting foreign companies. I, 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 foreign sounds so yeah, courting foreign companies who come in and open a open a big factory to a lot of fanfare for like a couple of years, and then. They slowly start to uh, when you know once they find a, a better option elsewhere, they start to withdraw, which is uh, what we saw with Aston Martin. You know, they received the the ninety million grants and stuff um, for a factory that opened in twenty nineteen, 
Um, and then earlier this year, they announced they were cutting 200 jobs. So it's like, did the investment really pay off the actual people that this stuff mm. affects? Like, it's debatable. And it's gambling. Yeah. It's gambling. Yeah. And it's also the same thing that we always talk about on the show happening in fucking like Illinois or Indiana or any other like uh, sort of post industrial landscape, right? Uh, it's just this sort of like inevitable wave of disappointment. Like you promise these things to people who are like desperate for one reason or another, and you, you get a factory that is open for a while and then just isn't. Yeah. yeah and I, I, was it like Lordstown? You didn't, you did, mm -hmm. you guys yeah. did an episode on, and it just really made me think of um, this Ford factory, I, ironically enough, or fittingly enough, um, an actual Ford factory. Um, in, in Bridgenda, South Wales, um, closed recently, um, and they're kind of desperately trying to um, uh, fill that sort of void that that, that company's left, um, I yeah. believe, part of, yeah. So um, and, you know, part part of that was you, you actually got sort of a member of, of Plaid, who's, you know, nominally our left-wing um, party, writing a letter to... Uh, Elon Musk kind of begging him to open a factory up in this letter, man, is the most yeah. fawning thing. It's just a a, a thorough bootlicking. Um, yeah, it's I have the text in front of me. Yeah, it says, uh, "This is from Luke Fletcher, um, dear Mr. Musk. I write to you today regarding the location of the new Tesla factory in the United Kingdom and the potential that it could be that it could be located at the old Ford factory in Bridge End, Wales." Um, when Ford shut down its operation in Bridgend, 1,700 jobs were lost, our community was devastated, and the impact was felt across the supply chain throughout the south of Wales. Again, the only solution is, let's bring in another, more memeable, crazier version of Ford that where there's like very little safety oversight. This will never happen again. Mm. That will ne we, just, we have to keep relying on these people because it will always work. Yeah. Also, the thing is, it's... it's, it's it's probably a pretty good site for like an old car factory is probably a pretty good site for a new car factory but like going about it in this uh sort of like fanish way really sort of betrays something of the desperation at work here i think and there is desperation because you know there there are jobs that have been lost and, and wales is you know the purest country in in the union it's just you know it's again it's about when you're creating jobs what kind of jobs are you creating? Who are, who's going to be responsible for for the people um, that live in the constituency that you're that you're kind of because he talks about sort of he can testify to the committed work ethic of the community that he represents and there's there's almost a weird like salesman like thing of it like I've got I've got good people that you can feed into your factory and it's just I, I promise they won't unionize. Well, yeah, well that's the other thing and it's yeah, and then you've got on the sort of I mean, it's obviously a different party in 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 Welsh Labour, but you have this sort of this tension between trying to to court these companies to attract them to Wales to you know create sort of questionable jobs with questionable conditions, but then you have this ongoing fight um, in the Senate over NHS pay, and you have you know our health minister Lee Ned Morgan um, actually like tr literally trotting out the 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 magic money tree line from Theresa May to talk about, yeah, and, and sort of saying that, you know, uh, increasing pay for NHS is, you know, it's about the language of priorities, you know, what would you cut? And, you know, fair enough, we don't have this the same kind of magic money machine as, as the UK government does at its disposal, but it is, 
it grates, doesn't it? Because, you know, at the same time they're saying things like that, they're also, you know, giving out these sort of very lucrative grants um, to court the likes of uh, Aston Martin. And, you know, if, if Mr. Musk <laughs> liked Luke Fletcher's letter, then potentially him as well, yeah. if you see what I mean. Yeah. Is, is like, I, I feel like we're all, we're kind of heading towards a strategy where ultimately it's going to be very much can Ryan Reynolds like save Wales? Um, yeah, that's the sad right. thing. Like, it's like that's or, not even yeah. <laughs> yeah, or like how like can 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 you like you rely on this on these like sort of like you know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised I would I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if like we kind of see a renaissance of like uh like kind of really coursing like tech guys again um you know and just like that sort of being a that that sort of being like a feasible uh like blueprint for um like investment and something like stuff like especially with like things like blockchain technology and everything and again this is very much like it speaks to like the thing that we've been speaking about throughout the episode which is just this kind of real sad sense of like desperation um when confronted with like a, like a political apparatus which is both like so stimmied that it can't really do anything but also doesn't really have any willingness to do it and it's just like it is like really sad also to hear that like welsh labor are kind of like using effectively like rachel reeves lines as a way of sort of like saying that you know don't expect things to I mean, get not better not even rachel um, reeves lines literally theresa may lines and that's right. that's the the heartbreaking thing here is that like um oh god sorry um yeah that's the heartbreaking thing it's just that you you can ha- you can't have it both ways you can't be considered the sort of the most successful uh, labor party in the uk and and the, the the most radical and you know have the likes of john mcdonald praising you and stuff and also be stood in the senate telling um, mm. nhs workers that they they're not doing serious politics by asking mm. for more money to help with recruitment yeah. just stood knee deep in a big lake of clear red piss fantastic <laughs> <laughs> that's right um so, uh, noting that we're sort of coming to the end of time, I want to say, Becca, thank you so much for coming and sharing all of your knowledge with us today. It has been a blast. Oh, thank you. Thanks. It's been nice, nice to be here. Thank you. And Riley has learned how to pronounce Clyde Cymru. I sure have. I was really impressed, though, that you managed to mispronounce Bridgend, which, which I didn't think you'd have trouble with, because you kept saying Bridgend. Like in a- <laughs> this, this is because I'm Canadian. I'm just pronouncing. I, 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 I had the same the same problems with pronouncing various English stuff. Uh, so I'm 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 putting I'm hitting the big button on my desk that says Canadian. Yeah, sorry, I um, don't mean to shame you then. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's all right. Uh, also, I want to say to everybody out listening, thank you again for listening. And don't forget, we have a Patreon. It is $5 a month. You get a second episode every week. And this week, our bonus episode is going to feature us talking to Joey D'Urso from The Athletic, talking about how uh, various uh, interesting, let's say, uh, cryptocurrencies uh, sort of made their way into uh, the world of football. So that is going to be very interesting. Do make sure to check that out. Otherwise, we will see you in a few days. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.